0: That's real. I mean, those people in that video, they, they are rejecting Jesus. Be careful what you clap about. Because that, that is, those are real-life conversations with real-life people, and we don't show you that to entertain you. Um, we show it to you for a couple of reasons. One, to help you understand the reality that not everyone accepts the gospel. Not, not everyone receives the gospel. And uh, those people, we just took a camera and walked around walked around a college campus in an an area in downtown Atlanta and just put the mic in front of people, ask them if they would answer some questions and that's how they answered the questions. I think in that day of interview and it's been a couple years ago when we did that, but I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 people were interviewed and one or two of them said that they were Christians, you know, they trusted in Christ and, and that's the reality that not everyone receives the gospel and a lot of people, I think a lot of times you come into camp and you expect to see skits with happy endings, and you're not always going to see that here. So you don't have to clap or get excited about it. Sometimes you need to think. We want you to think. We're trying to make you think about your own faith, about what you're doing with Jesus. And 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 the reality is not everyone comes to Christ. Everybody hears the gospel and responds to the gospel by receiving the gospel and submitting to Jesus. And we walked last night through this passage of scripture that said, you know, Jesus was, was sinless. He was killed. He was resurrected. He had done miracles and signs to show that he was God. He proved over and over again that he was God and people still, in the end, people killed him. They killed him for it. And you know, kind of see mixed emotions when you talk to people about Jesus. Even in the skit, you know, I've even thought about doing that skit where not one of those three people ends up bowing before Christ. I think that in some ways that's more realistic. You got, you know, Dante's character over here, the, the guy that was talking. A lot of people identify with that, you know, just hard family life. A lot of you guys, listen to me. Listen, I'm a dad. I've got kids older than some of you guys. I'm not a cool youth speaker guy. I'm, an, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm here because I love you. Okay? Your youth pastor's here because he loves you. Your chaperones are here because they love you. They didn't come here to sleep on luxurious three-inch foam mattresses that, no offense, but some kid probably peed on last week. That's love. They love you. I don't hear any nonsense, foolishness. Listen to me. Some of you talk about how bad things are at home and how bad life is. And, you know, you've never had a chance and your dad doesn't love you. Your stepdad doesn't take care of you. Your mom's ugly to you. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died for you. And there are people in this room that love you. And you are without excuse when it comes to the love of God. Christ has done everything that's needed for you to have value and worth and for you to receive salvation. And you need to understand that God loves you regardless of what your situation is. And for some of you, I know that your situation is not good. For some of you, it's real good. Some of you have a good family situation, good family life. Your daddy cares about you. Your mama cares about you. But a lot of you, you don't know what that's like. You really identify with that first character. You need to know that Jesus Christ has done everything that's needed to rescue you from your circumstances. and to, and, and you don't... I am sick and tired of a church society and culture where people blame their own sin on the sin of the people before them. Well, my mom or dad treated me this way, so I get to act like an idiot and a moron and reject God and live in sin. That is not true. That is not what the gospel says. That is not what Christ has called you to. Jesus Christ is the lifter of your head. He raises you up out of your circumstances. And that includes your personal sin and the sin of your father, your mother, your stepdad, whoever else beat you, smacked you, abused you, neglected you, abandoned you. Jesus Christ loves you. He didn't do those things to you. He came to save you from those things. And you need to understand, some of you don't know how to be loved. You just flat out, you don't know how to be loved. You don't know what that's like. And my heart breaks for you. It breaks my heart breaks for you. I woke up this morning and and went, and I had to go get my baby girl up. My youngest she's almost eight years old she 's my baby, and I went in there and crawled in bed beside her. I was loving on her and rubbing her Boy, that morning breath about to knock my nose off i didn 't care. I was cuddled up, and I was rubbing her face, and I was thinking there is as, as much as I love this kid. I said, You are so beautiful, I love you, you look good girl i, I said i ain't there ain 't no sense that somebody would With bad morning breath and crazy hair like that, looking as good as you look. You look good. And as much as I love her and want to affirm her, it does not compare to the love that God has for her. And he doesn't love her any more than he loves you. He wants to save you and bring you into relationship. And I'm sick and tired of people blaming their situation their circumstance on the way they behave and act and live. Jesus Christ will set you free from the dominion and power of sin. You know why? Because he can. Because he has the authority to. He doesn't just rescue us from sin. He rescues us from sin to be victorious in our lives and to live on his terms. You got this girl in the middle, Maya's character, talking about science. That's crazy. She's making mess up. People that do that, they're just making mess up. People talk about science disproves God. That's crazy. Science, there ain't a day of science that's ever disproved one iota of Scripture. It's not there. And you, you get lied to in the school system when they tell you science says this and science says that. Let me tell you something. Science hinges on the authority of Jesus Christ people are going to make up what they're going to You know what I hear? When she's out there talking, all I hear is a skeleto and Nacho Libre. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Every time I hear Richard Dawkins or some hoopy gooby scientist on TV trying to sound smart, he got a bunch of letters after his name, and he's so intelligent. And I'm like, you're a moron. The scripture is very clear. To reject God is the most foolish thing you can ever do. I don't care how many schools you've been to. I've been to the school of hard knocks. They're right, Q. That's a different school. Jesus Christ created everything, holds it in place. You study science and nature and biology, and what you will find is the intricate design of a loving, personal God. And the girl in the back, Anna's character, man, she's hurting. She's hurting too. And some of you are hurting tonight. You just need to understand that Jesus Christ is your savior, your deliverer, your rescuer. I want you to get that. I want you to get that. Turn to Acts 5. We're going to go to Acts 5, and we're going to talk about Jesus again. I, don't, I mean, I ain't good at talking about much except Jesus. I mean, I can talk about killing stuff and eating it, you know, because I'm a hillbilly. But other than that, I don't, I mean, I ain't got a lot. Of, I don't have a big bag of tricks. So we'll talk about Jesus again tonight. So give you a little update on what's happened in the story. Now, we're we're a few chapters later. We left off in chapter two last night. And at the end of chapter two, what had happened is Peter had preached a sermon. Now, when he got done preaching, 3000 people got saved, got saved, got rescued by the gospel. 3000 people, they were coming in off the streets, man, people getting saved all over the place. And so he stayed there in the same city, remember, the same city where they had killed Jesus and where Peter had run away. In that same city, Peter preached and proclaimed the gospel. Why? Why did we say he had this boldness all of a sudden? Because he saw what? Jesus risen. That's right. And when you get killed and then you rise, what we say? You're legit. Whatever you say goes. Peter got it. He understood it. He believed it. And so he started preaching. So what happens over the, the next few chapters is Peter's like, man, this preaching thing is for me. God called that man to preach. He starts preaching the gospel. He's going through the city. He's preaching. People are getting saved. So many people get saved that the religious leaders and the government officials, they say, we got to control this. We got we to put a stop to this. So they arrest Peter. They arrest John. And persecution starts. They put them in prison. And those guys get out of prison. They walk right out in the city street, start preaching again. I not you just think about this. What would it take? Don't answer this out loud in your mind. What does it take to make you shut up about Jesus? What does it take to make you not talk about Jesus? And what embarrasses you about Jesus? What embarrasses you about the gospel? I ain't beating you up. I don't know. Maybe nothing. Maybe you're like nothing, man. I'll talk about Jesus. Anybody, everybody, give me a chance. And sometimes I admit that it's scary to talk to people about Jesus. It can be intimidating to tell people about Jesus. I got on the airplane not long ago. I was flying from Buffalo, New York. I was flying in when we fly, I fly a good bit flying out of Atlanta. I'm flying from Buffalo to Atlanta. And, and I got on the plane. I always like to get on the plane. And now I'm, i wait. I go last. If you've ever flown commercially. They call, start calling people to board, and everybody races up there. And then all you can do is stand in line, and then you get on that little bitty seat on that airplane, and sit there for an hour waiting on everybody else to load. I just stay and wait and get on last. So I'm walking on the aisle, and I'm looking, trying to figure out which seat I'm going to be sitting on. And I saw this cat sitting back there, and he was he was obviously Arabic. And I'm thinking maybe this guy's Muslim. I'm going to have an opportunity to really we're going to be. I'm, he was against the window as a two row, two seat row. I'm going to be against the aisle. I'm going to have him hemmed in. I'm going to preach. And so I got, I started walking back through there and I, and I went to sit down. As soon as I sat down, that joker must, it must've been written on my face. I said, what's up, man? How you doing? He said, good. Put earbuds in and went to sleep. Like started fake snoring. I was like, you ain't snoring that fast. Come on. I poked him. Hey man, I'm trying to wake him up. He had a bracelet on it, had Arabic writing on it. I was scared. It said like WWAD. What would Allah do or something? I was like, I "I better be careful with this cat. But I want to tell him about Jesus, man. I want to tell him about Jesus. I wanted to tell him about my God. And he slept through the whole flight. He wouldn't hear it. He wouldn't have it. I couldn't get a word in. I finally found this lady across the aisle. She let me talk to her. I told her all about Jesus. But, but, but there are times where I'm ashamed to say that something has silenced me when it came to the gospel. Shut me up. Peter, you couldn't shut that joker up. It, I mean, some of you, you will not talk about Jesus in front of your non-Christian friends because you're embarrassed to be considered a Christian. That's the bottom line. Bottom line. You're ashamed. You would rather use their language and talk ugly and use swear words and curse words and act big and bad and tough and strong and use the words that they use so that they'll accept you. But you won't talk about Jesus. Not Peter. Peter, they, they, man, they whooped him, they beat him, they hit him with sticks. At one, one point, instead uh. Verse 26, Acts 5, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. I and mean, they thought there were times where the disciples, the apostles early on would get stoned. They'd get beaten with. Uh, if, listen, stoned ain't got nothing to do with smoking weed. All right, let me explain to you. Some of you don't know what that means. Being stoned in the New Testament context is they would take big rocks and they would they would. Everybody would get rocks, and they would take a person and they would kill them by throwing those rocks down on their head and their body and they'd bust them up and kill them and that 's what that i mean those guys would get stoned they 'd get beaten with sticks, whips they, i mean it was awful just for proclaiming Christ, and they would just keep preaching christ and so they, they pulled peter in acts five twenty seven when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them this is like the religious guys they got goofy robes and weird hats and They're just silly. They thought they were somebody. Saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. What name? Jesus. Well, teach in the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus gets people worked up. If you're a believer and you love Jesus, you hear the name of Jesus, you instantly get worked up. And you get excited because of what that name means to you. But if you are not a follower of Christ and you hear the name of Jesus, something else happens inside of you. You're hostile toward that. There's not, it's not random that the world will let people worship. Anybody and everybody want to worship, you start talking about Jesus and people freak out. Jesus said in John 15, the world will hate you because they hate me. For my name's sake, they're going to hate you. Don't be confused, guys. You follow Jesus. You take a stand for the gospel. The world is going to hate you. Okay? Just know, just know what you're getting in here into here. I want you to know what you're getting into here. Peter was getting a full dose of it. They said, you'd be talking in Jesus name and you can't do that. And so you fill Jerusalem with this teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. He said, I'm going to obey God. I'm not going to obey y'all. Well, you think because you got a big goofy hat and a robe and you're like the religious guru of the city that I'm going to obey you instead of, excuse me, I would like to remind you Jesus was dead and then he came back to life. Have you ever done that? I didn't think so. Take your goofy hat and go back to the house or beat me, whatever, but I'm going to preach Christ. We need people with that kind of boldness. You need to understand Jesus in that context. He said, I'm going to obey God. I'm not going to obey you guys. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. See, he told him, he said, he raised Jesus. What's he talking about? He raised Jesus. What raised him from the dead, right? He was dead. We saw last night. He wasn't swooning. Was he, he was dead whom you killed. Now he's blaming it on them. He's like, he was dead and you killed him. That's why you people are guilty. You killed him. By hanging him on a tree. Now listen to this. Now he's going to go at the throat right here. And if you don't understand your Bible, you might not. This, you might go right over this and not catch what he's saying. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So what he's saying is, they're saying, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't trust Jesus. We reject Jesus. And he's saying, okay, you killed Jesus. I preach about Jesus. You killed him. And he is your savior and he's your God. That's like last night when I said to you, you may not be a Christian. You may reject Jesus Christ. Tonight, you may with your heart, your mind, your emotion, your intellect, every part of you, reject Jesus as Lord. He is still your Lord. He is your God. He is your creator. And by his common grace to you, he sustains your life. Everybody find your pulse. Y'all know how to do that? Find it. Right there. Find it. Oh, too much caffeine for me. (laughs) I feel like a machine gun. I don't feel like we're adopted. You see that? You feel your heart beating? What's making that happen? Jesus. Literally. You can stop. Hey, filling out paperwork. We're doing this, we're doing an adoption. We're adopting a couple of boys from Uganda. And I'm filling out paperwork today for about two hours. Are you in good health? My heart rate is 1,016 right now, but it might be because I drank a gallon of coffee. I think I'm in good health other than that. <laughs> what makes your heart beat? Jesus Christ. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. And Peter is saying to these guys, you reject him. You killed him. I and mean, he's your God. And you know what? You killed him, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life, and now he's exalted. He's sitting on a throne. He's sitting on a throne. That's what he's saying. And he is your savior and your leader. He's your God. These guys didn't like that, y'all. He says he's the God of Israel. What he's doing, he's making a reference here. If you study it, he's making a reference to the history of Israel where, where God, that they, they believe the God of the Old Testament, whose name was Yahweh. Have y'all ever heard that? You ever heard the name Yahweh? Over 5,000 times in the Bible, you'll see in your Bible the words, the Lord. And some Bibles will even uh, put that in all caps. Well, when you see the Lord, that's the name Yahweh being translated into English. Okay. In fact, have you ever uh, <clears throat> have you ever heard the term Hallelujah or Hallelujah? Like you sing Hallelujah in a song. That means basically hail to Yah, which was short for Yahweh. Hallelujah, like. It's, it's a worship to Yahweh when we say hallelujah. So even when you're saying that, you're worshiping Yahweh. It's the, name of, it's the name of God. And the name Yahweh is the real name of God. So Jesus is a name that was given to Jesus as a human. And it was just, honestly, it was like being named Joshua, something like that. It was a very common name. And so it was an earthly name. It was a name that was given as a human that he received, Okay. But in the Old Testament, God introduced himself as Yahweh. That was his name, and he was jealous for his name. He would say even, don't take my name in vain. Don't just use my name flippantly. I'm jealous for my name. And so what, what Peter's doing is he's preaching to these guys, and he's saying, hey, you remember, remember the Old Testament? Savior, leader, God of Israel? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So what he's saying to them is, Jesus is the God of Old Testament. He's the God who's always been, and he came to earth to die for our sin." And these guys, man, they, they're freaking out over this. In fact, it's the, the term savior is a term that was used to describe Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. I hope I'm not confusing you. If I am, talk about it in share group. Yahweh is the name for God in the Old Testament. And what we're learning is that was Jesus. It was Jesus. So Jesus was God long before he became a man. And so what... Peter's saying to these guys is, Hey, remember the God of the old Testament, the God that we've worshiped for so many years, it was Jesus. And then he came and became one of us and you killed him. You killed the God we worship, but that's okay. He rose back from dead. All you got to do is repent and believe in him and you'll be saved because he's the savior of Israel. Just repent. He's, he's making a reference to the Exodus of Israel. Do you ever, have you ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Exodus. All right, about, not a lot of you. So, I, okay, that's good. You can put your hands down. I want to explain this to you. About 1,500 years, about 1,000, 1,200 years before Jesus, the nation of Israel was enslaved. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, okay? Now, the Egyptians were a dynasty. They were a world power. They were what we would call an empire. And the Egyptians worshipped many, 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 many gods. Now, we know from the Old Testament that in the Ten Commandments, God said, you don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship any other gods. I'm the Lord your God. It's just me. There's no other gods that you worship. And don't make idols. In other words, don't make statues of other gods and worship them. God is jealous. He expects us to worship him alone. Just like I expect my wife to be married to me alone. Is that people say, man, that's so, that's so crazy. God only wants you to worship him. That's like saying, that's so crazy. You only want your wife to be married to you. It'd be crazy not to want that, right? Don't you agree? I mean, it's dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Somebody asked my wife to marry him and me and him will have a fist fight. At least. <laughs> Might have a baseball bat fight, I don't know get Coach Hooker after him, Jason Hooker. take care of my light work. God's jealous because the scripture says he loves his people like a husband is to love his wife. Right? Is that what scripture says? Yeah, that's what it says. And so God's people had been carried into Egypt and the Egyptians worshiped other gods and they believed that their gods had given them power over Yahweh. Well, does anybody have power over Yahweh? Does anybody have power over Jesus? No. There's no power greater than the name of Jesus. There's no power over Jesus. Jesus, God, is greater than everything, anything. He's greater than all of the gods. But the Egyptians, they enslaved the Israelites. And they believed because we have power over the Israelites, it's because our God is stronger than your God. And in fact, we have many gods. And so that makes sense that all of our different gods would be in power over your God. It's like they're ganging up on your God and he can't do anything about it. That's what they believed. It's kind of like today when people just say your God is not real and they don't believe in Jesus as God. And it's, it's no different. They're just basically saying, we don't believe that he's who he says he is. So the Egyptians, they enslaved the Israelites and they said, your God is not strong enough to defend you. And so you got a couple of million Israelites who are enslaved to the Egyptian empire. And I mean, it was like slave, slave work. Like they were having to make brick. Y'all ever hear about a little something called the pyramids? You ever heard about that? You see pictures of that? Remember that one movie, Despicable Me, at the beginning? The inflatable pyramid? Well, that ain't true. They ain't really inflatable. All right. So, so you got the pyramids were made out of this brick. And so the Egyptian kind of the structure, the infrastructure of the Egyptian dynasty or kingdom was that they would make stuff that was in their day and age was fascinating. I mean, it was like so advanced. Well, they were using the nation of Israel as slaves to make this stuff, okay? So they believed their God was giving them the strength to do this. Well, God tells us, listen, straight up in Scripture, God tells us that anybody doesn't worship Jesus but worships another God is worshiping a demon. True. It's true. Scripture says it. Leviticus 17, Deuteronomy 32, 33, Psalm 106, Paul talks about in Galatians, if you worship a God other than Jesus, you're worshiping a demon, okay? So people who worship Allah worship a demon. I'm going to get real close to home here. And I say this not in, in arrogance as a Christian, but in brokenness and, and fear for the lives and souls of others. People who worship any God other than Jesus as God. So Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. You can't call them out and yeah, I'm not calling them out. I'm telling you what scripture says. Buddhists, Hindus, and pick any other world religion you want to pick. If you do not worship Jesus as the risen Lord, as God come to save us, you're worshiping a demon. That's what scripture says. That's what Jesus says. That's what God says. So the Egyptians were worshiping demon gods. And they had enslaved the Israelites. And God walked in there. Listen, in the period of a few weeks, Jesus comes in there and he speaks through a man named Moses. Have you ever heard of Moses? You guys have heard of him. Okay. So some of you had not heard of the Exodus, but I thought maybe you'd heard of Moses. He was the great leader of Israel. He delivered them from the Egyptians. And Israel, they're a group of slaves. They do not have... An army, they do not have any way to fight their way out of slavery to the Egyptians. And Jesus comes in there and fights for them. Some of you are enslaved to your circumstances. Maybe you're enslaved to a family situation. Maybe you're enslaved to pornography or some other addiction. Maybe you're enslaved to your boyfriend. And he's your God. And he's your idol. And you can't imagine life without him. Scripture would tell us that that's demonic. And only Jesus can save you from that. And he will. And he intends to. Because he wants to be your God. And the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites. And they couldn't even fight for themselves. But Jesus is a deliverer. So he goes into Egypt. And He, you know what he does? Y'all... Some of you have a very passive picture of Jesus, and he was very humble in his humanity. When he came to earth, he humbled himself. He became a little baby in a manger. It's crazy that God became a baby, isn't it? Isn't that crazy. That's awesome. But I mean, I I told you I have I've had some babies now, and they will they're helpless. I mean, they can't do nothing but like make little green pies in their pants, you know, and. The mud pie in there. What is that? Ooh, how did you get that on the back of your neck? That'll happen sometimes. You're like, goodness. How big is your colon? (laughs) That? How did that come out of it? (laughs) Babies are, God humbled himself, became a baby. That Jesus, that God. In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he became a man, he goes into Israel And he absolutely... And we need to see that humble servant, Christ. But we need to first understand that he is God. That's what makes him humbling himself so magnificent. You understand? If he wasn't God to begin with, then becoming a man was no big deal. Humbling himself was no big deal. He is and was God. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he was God. And so he goes into Egypt... He says, all right, Moses, you don't have to fight. And, and the Israelites don't have to fight. I'm going to fight for y'all. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cripple the Egyptians. I'm tired of them worshiping their demon gods and holding it over you. For 400 years they've been doing this. He goes in there and Jesus literally assaults the gods of Israel, of Egypt. He assaults the gods of Egypt. He attacks them. You ever think about it? You ever heard, maybe you've heard of the 10 plagues. 10 plagues. Here's what happens. I want to, I want to just kind of walk you through this. What happens is in the book of Exodus between chapters four and 12, and I'm not going to go through that, but between chapters four and 12, you'll see this in Exodus chapter 12, God says to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, I'm going to attack his gods. And then everyone will know that I am Yahweh. Everyone will know that I'm Yahweh. He's going to attack the gods of the Egyptians. And then everybody will know, Oh, our gods are not powerful. Yahweh is all powerful. That's his plan. Jesus' plan is to to cripple and humble and beat down the gods of the Egyptians. So the first thing he does in Exodus 7 is he attacks the, the gods of the Nile River. Now what's significant about this is that the Egyptians believed that the Nile River was literally the veins that flowed from one of their gods. They also believed, they actually believed there were three gods associated with the Nile River. Now, for some of you, this is new to think about people really worshiping actual parts of creation, but you should remember in Rob's sermon this morning, where he talked about in Romans one, how people exchange God and worship things that God created. And that's what the Egyptians were doing. So they worship the Nile river. They worship the fish in the Nile river. I catch fish and eat them. I don't pray to them. You understand? You understand? If you worshiping a fish, me and you need to talk. I'll explain some stuff to you. You messed up and deceived. That's what they did. They worship fish. They worship crocodiles. I mean, that one I can kind of like be like, okay, if you're like, you know, if people were getting eaten by crocodiles, you'd be like, oh, Mr. Crocodile, please, we bow down to you. Don't eat us no more, please. Can I have my leg back? But they worshiped, they had a crocodile God, they had a God of the Nile, they had three gods associated with the Nile. You know what Jesus did? He goes in there, he tells Moses, go down and hold your staff over the Nile River. Watch this. He holds his staff over the Nile River. You know what happened to it? It turned to blood. And everything in it died. It said everything in it died and the whole land smelled awful. Yeah, I guess so. A bunch of bloody dead things floating. The Nile River was their water source, not just for drinking and for bathing. The Egyptians were the first really advanced culture and society. They irrigated their fields. That means they brought water out of the Nile River to irrigate or to water their fields so their crops would grow. They were clean freaks. They would bathe every day. Some of you are like, yeah, that's normal. No, I mean, not back then it wasn't. People be stinking, man. People be doing like the, the bath of the month club, you know I mean? It's like. And see, the Jews, the Israelites, they were like that. They were like Duck Dynasty, you know, beards. I mean, all the, the Israelites were walking around scruffy, bearded. They looked like they worked at Snowbird. And the Egyptians, <laughs> the Egyptians be bathing every day. God turned the river into blood. Killed everything. What was he doing? He's attacking their gods. I got the names of their gods here. Canum was the guardian of Nile. They had praise and worship songs to him. Ooh, I got one on my Bible. Y'all want? I mean, on my phone. Y'all want to hear? It? Hold on. I saw. I got it. Hold on. This is crazy. You talking about worship? Singing a song to a river? Hymn of worship to the Nile. Hail to thee, O Nile, that issues from the earth and comes to keep Egypt alive. He that waters the meadows, which recreated, in order to keep every kid alive. Alive and alive don't even rhyme. It's the same word. They weren't even good hymns. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if they were like dropping a beat or anything, but I mean, that's bad. That's just bad lyrical stuff right there. He that makes to drink the desert and the place distant from water. And then that's like a fraction of a sentence. I mean, these people are terrible with their English. Maybe it's because they didn't speak English. Um, That is his dew coming down from heaven. It's crazy. Is that crazy? They believed that the Nile River was worthy of their praise. And Jesus walked in and he he turned the Nile to blood. Next thing that he did was he brought frogs on the land. Have you ever heard of this? He brought frogs up on all the land of Egypt. And so there were frogs everywhere. And here's what's fascinating about it. You, You read that and you think, okay, it's kind of weird. That'd be weird. I mean, frogs are frogs, but I guess if there were a bunch of them, it'd be kind of nasty. I mean, frogs are kind of like, most people think frogs are cute. I was driving home this uh, past Sunday night. I was driving home from church, me and my, and little, little, my wife is a girl that plays drums and we're driving home from church. We had the kids in the, in the, in the USS Virginia. That's what we call our teeny van. And we're driving home and a frog was jumping down the middle of the road. And it was like, every time he was like trying to get out of the way, he was panicking. He's like, ah. ah. He's running, man. I I stopped. I watched him. I was like, go ahead, little man. I won't run over you. You get out of the road. He was like, he was, ah, run. Boing, 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 boing. It was funny. And frogs are frogs. But I mean, I can't imagine worshiping a frog. I didn't say, I didn't say like, if I stop, if I get out the car. There goes a frog. All hail King frog. All bow before his happiness. <laughs> we worship the O frog man. Right, it's just crazy, all right? So they believed that frogs represented by the frog God, whose name was Hecht, and he was the God of resurrection. Listen to this crazy stuff from Egyptian history. If you stepped on a frog and killed the frog, even if it was on accident, you would be executed. It's it crazy I come home the other night and my son had killed six and had them skin out on the kitchen table, went on his mom at a fry. Him. I mean, like that's six death sentences consecutively, son, you are in trouble. God, listen, Jesus Christ sent frogs, and Probably some of them got driven out of the river. I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, there's blood everywhere. There's no water for them. I don't know if that, but then I think he just sends them. It's just like Jesus is saying, here's what he's doing. He's like frog. God, choke, now God choke, crocodile God, front kick. I mean, he's like just, he's dropping them left and right. He's taking control. It keeps going, there's gnats, mosquitoes, flies. At one point in Exodus nine, he brings a plague of cattle and livestock. He kills their cows, their horses, their donkeys and all this. I mean, he starts killing animals. Well, he cripples their whole military. I mean, they relied on the meat from those cows because cows are made out of meat. You're supposed to eat them. They worship cows. Listen to this. They had one cow god named Hathor. She was the mother goddess, the form of a cow. Now, I ain't going to lie. I have had some steaks in my time that were heavenly. You ever go to, if you ever go to uh, Longhorn and get a, the outlaw ribeye, that will, make, that will make you break out and worship Jesus in the middle of the restaurant. I ain't even lying. Me and Sean Clark was at Longhorn restaurant. I said, we getting a steak. And somebody gave me a hundred dollar bill and said, I want you, I was on the road preaching and Sean was with me and said, I want you to go. I want you to eat good. I said, I know where I'm going. I had had one of them one time. We went to Longhorn. I said, they, I, I took a big bite. I ate it with my hands. I took a bite of that. I said, thank you, Jesus. I'd already said the blessing. But I did not say, thank you, cow. <laughs> I did not at any point break out in song to the cow and worship the cow. Okay? So the Egyptians, they worship cows. They worship cows crazy. They had a bull God called Ptah. He was a symbol of fertility. So you had little kids running around everywhere. They kids, oh, we, there's so many babies and kids and we keep repopulating and it's all because of the bull God. No, I could explain to you why you're recreating children but it ain't got nothing to do with no bull okay anyway he killed listen he comes through it kills all the cows kills them all and which i'll be honest with you it's sad to me i'm like oh all them outlaw ribeyes laying out there rotten and flies and maggots and everything else is bad so by now the land is smelling awful you got dead frogs everywhere you got dead cows everywhere you got bloody water everywhere it's a mess what is jesus doing here He's smashing the faces of their gods. What is the the takeaway? What do we learn from What does this mean for us? It means Jesus Christ is a jealous God and he came to save us so that he could demand our worship. He saves us from sin so that he can enthrone himself in our lives so that we can know him because he loves us. He wants to be worshiped. There's nothing that satisfies like the worship of Jesus. After that, man, he brings some more plagues. And one of them is he brings a hailstorm that lasts for a long enough time. They had, they had, uh, three gods, the sky, he had a sky goddess, a goddess of life and a protector of crops. And these three gods were the ones who prepared the rain and brought it to the crops and then they stopped the rain when they needed to stop it so they didn't flood and protect the crops. He comes in there, drops hail on the, on the place and completely destroys their fields. Well, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 9 that some of the fields he destroyed, but the wheat and barley fields were not yet big enough to be destroyed. It wasn't time to harvest them. So, he destroys the corn and a lot of the bigger crops, but some of the crops that were planted later in the year, they're just starting to come up. So, the hailstorm doesn't really bother them. So, the next thing he does is he sends locusts. Locusts eat, one locust eats 17 times its body weight in a day. And they come in there and they eat all of the crops that are left and bite them off to the roots, literally down to the dirt. What is all this about? He, listen. In just a few days, Jesus comes in there, silences their gods, sends them straight to hell, their gods. Scripture tells us hell is prepared for Satan and his demons. That is where Yahweh sent those demon gods, because they're gone. They're silent. They're, they are gone. They're off the scene. They can't stop the hail from falling, they can't stop the locusts from coming. And he devastates and annihilates the whole Egyptian infrastructure. Why? Because he's God. And he demands worship on his terms. The story continues. I encourage you to read it. It goes on for a few more chapters. There's darkness and ultimately there's the death of the firstborn. and The Passover is established. It all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Jesus. Peter preaching in Acts 5 says, hey, I'm not scared of you guys. You know why? Because you think you worship the God of the deliverance and the exodus. But you don't because you killed him. His name's Jesus. Remember the demon gods of Egypt? Jesus Christ silenced them. He was front kicking and elbowing and smash mouthing and he put them in their place and brought his people to a place of power and authority literally over the Egyptians. Do you know that to this day, that was 3,000 years ago. To this day, Egypt has never again been a world power fact back, back in the 70s they picked a fight with Israel Israel kicked their tails in about 7 days true story modern history read it wikipedia woo-hoo. it was uh, aptly named the 7 day war pretty creative they don't, i mean they're over there right now fighting amongst themselves they can't even they can't even get a government in place where's all this start Exodus 8, 9, 10. What what was going on? Jesus Christ was declaring himself to be God. And all I want you to see tonight, the only thing, I don't want to do theology and and, and confuse you and go deep. I want to stay right on the surface and right on the surface of Christianity, what we get is Jesus Christ is God and he will have no other gods before him. And he expects and demands and commands our worship. And the thing is, y'all, he's worthy of it and it'll satisfy you. Nothing else will satisfy you. Ladies, there is no, listen to me. There is no male alive who can do for your soul and your heart what Jesus Christ alone can do for you. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. You'll leave those relationships empty and hurt and broken more than you went into him trying to find some peace and, and satisfaction and value in those relationships. Jesus alone can give you value. And he will crush and conquer and defeat all the things in your life that are bringing you down into slavery, to sin and depression and frustration and anger and resentment and hatred towards God. And he says to the, back to Acts 5, he says to him, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The last thing he says is, if you will just trust and receive Jesus, he will give you his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And he told his disciples, it's better that I not be here because if I leave, I'll send my Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of you. That's what he offers to you. Jesus Christ offers himself to you by giving you his Holy Spirit. But he's not going to negotiate the terms of the relationship. He's God. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's King. He's King Jesus. And he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to end the service a little differently tonight. And we're going to sit through. Many of you have been here before. And and you know this is fairly common here. We're going to sit through a song where we're not going to sing. You're not going to get up. You're not going. I want you to just stay in a meditative kind of just in prayer, in a prayerful state of mind with your head down, your eyes closed. I want you to think. Think, just examine your own heart. Examine your life. Examine your mind. What are you doing with Jesus? Do you worship him, really, really worship him as, as Savior and God or not? I mean, it's kind of like, Push him to the side, and he's just kind of an accessory to your life. But he's not really God in your life. You don't see him that way. Think about it. I want you to think about that. Just meditate on that. Think on that. It is Jesus that Peter preached and who conquered those demon gods so many thousands of years ago. He is today enthroned on high, and the gods of the Egyptians are still condemned to hell because he has that authority. And he conquered sin and death and hell and the grave so that we could worship him in spirit and in truth. I want you to think on that. I want you to get your heart and your mind right. I want this to be a time of confession and prayer. If you need to go talk to your pastor, your student pastor, do that. It won't be a time of confession and prayer as they sing this song. And then when they're done, we're going to stand and we're going to worship Jesus as the Israelites would have worshipped him the day they left Egypt. We're going to worship him because he has delivered us from a greater enemy than Egypt. He has delivered us from sin and hell and death. So we praise King Jesus and we praise you now, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy. And as Peter preached your name as the name that is worthy to be praised, the name above all other names, we worship you tonight because you, Lord Jesus, have come to save us. We worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that in, 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 in these few moments that students would be reflective and think in, in their hearts and their minds, consider what they're doing with you, what, how, how they approach you, how they see you, what is their life in or out of Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would draw students to yourself. Pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction into our lives, that something that was said from your word tonight would unlock areas of our hearts and minds that we have been enslaved and in bondage to, I pray tonight you be exalted. And then I pray we would worship you by your spirit, that Holy Spirit that Peter said you give to us who obey and believe. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would worship through us and that tonight would be glorious as we worship our risen and conquering king, all hail King Jesus, because you are enthroned and exalted. We love you, in Jesus' name.